Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast that's dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Charlie. And I'm Seth. Each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in less than 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or absurd. With brevity in mind, let's get going. Seth, what do we have on tap for today? Today, we're going to talk about the most famous and violent water polo contest of all time, the Blood in the Water match. In 1956, just weeks after the Soviet Union crushed the Hungarian Revolution, the two countries faced off in the Olympic pool for a brutal, bloody battle that made headlines across the entire world. So before we get into the uh, blood in the water match, I think we should first discuss the basics of water polo. Charlie, what do you know about water polo? A little more than I know about polo and a little less than I know about water. That's the sweet spot. So water polo takes place between two teams in a pool, seven players on each side. There's six swimmers and one goalie. These two teams swim back and forth across a pool, passing an inflatable ball, trying to score in a net. I like to think of it as hockey, but the ice is melted. It's physical like hockey, too. Below the surface, players are punching and kicking each other all while treading water. It's essentially like deep-end chicken fights the whole time. Sounds absolutely excruciating. And it is, too. Players swim almost two miles a game. And this is not, uh, not a sport I would like to play, but do you know who does like to play it? Uh, Hungarians. They, they can't get enough of this, and the Hungarians are great at it. All-time... Uh, the Hungry Water Polo team has nine Olympic gold medals, a bunch of silvers, a bunch of bronzes. They're considered uh, one of the best water polo teams of all time. Money isn't everything. Gold is. And I got wondering, why? They're a landlocked state. Why are they so good? In Hungary, there are tons of thermal baths and public pools. And in the early parts of the 20th century, there isn't really much else to do. So because of that, Hungary becomes this dominant force in water sports. So uh, before we get too deep into the sport, some quick background on Hungary. Um, the early part of the 20th century to the mid part of the 20th century, Hungary's ruled by fascists. They align themselves with the Nazis and they thankfully all lose World War II together. The Soviets then come in and occupy the country. After Stalin dies, Hungary makes moves to start to liberalize. And in response, the Soviets become even more repressive. They install a puppet government and generally just make things as miserable as possible on the Hungarians. And things are just getting worse in 1956 during the lead up to that year's Olympics. Even before this Soviet crackdown, tensions were brewing between the Soviet and Hungarian water polo teams for a while. Uh, the Hungarian water polo team won gold in 1952. Um, that year, the Soviets got seventh place. Charlie, what medal do they give the seventh place team again? I believe that'll land you a, a tinfoil medal with chocolate in the middle. <laughs> yes, they get gelt medals for seventh place. Um, so in 1956, the Hungarian team, they're primed to uh, repeat and go back-to-back -back gold medals. They're led by two key players, Irvin Zador, who's the youngest, kind of the, the next best player, and Giramati, who's the captain, who is one of the greatest water polo players um, of all time. The Soviets, on their hand, not a great team. 
But what they have been doing is just straight up copying the Hungarians. Since the Soviets are occupying their country, they just show up at their practices and just write down every single thing that the Hungarian water polo team does. A tactic that is later copied by noted communist icon Bill Belichick. That it was. I mean, he didn't have any knowledge of football. He was our third video assistant. The Hungarians and Soviets actually play two warm-up matches. Uh, The first of those matches, the Soviets win in Russia against the Hungarians, and it was clearly a rigged game. The the referees kind of were were all over the place, and the two teams end up brawling uh, in the locker room after. You have no idea who you mess with, man! There's too much male bonding going on in here for me. The second game, the Hungarians played on their own turf, and they beat the Soviets, but it turned into kind of like a high school basketball game where the fans like turned their back during the national anthem and, and booed uh, booed the teams. It was it was a whole messy ordeal. So summer of uh, 1956, the athletes are sent to a large house outside of Budapest to train, completely isolated from the rest of the country, and student protests kick off. Um, hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets demanding their democratic rights and a full withdrawal of Soviet troops. And the Soviet troops respond by starting to shoot the students. Um, People then begin pulling down statues of Solon, any symbols of of, uh, the Soviet occupation, including uh, taking the Hungarian flag with the Soviet star that's been put in it and cutting the star out of the middle. And so the athletes are sequestered, so they don't really know what's going on. They hear shooting from the streets below, but they, they have no idea what's going on. They're kind of in the dark. Fighting erupts all over the country. Hundreds of people are dying. The government basically collapses, and a new sort of temporary government is put in place, um, and a leader named Naj takes power. He's a He had been in charge of the country before. The Soviets had pulled him out of power. Um, they basically put him in to sort of calm things down. He pledges to pull them out of the Warsaw Pact. He demands free elections, and he calls for the Soviet troops to be taken out of Hungary altogether. Naj is the man. We're, we're very pro-Naj on this podcast. So he and the Soviets work on and agree to a ceasefire. The Soviets say they're going to withdraw their troops, and they pledge to negotiate. There is hope in Hungary. And this is a huge deal internationally, too. So no Eastern Bloc country had ever liberated itself from the USSR before. So the ceasefire agreement's October 28th. Two days later, October 30th, Naj announces that the athletes will indeed go ahead to the Olympics to represent the new free Hungary. The day before the athletes leave, uh, Zador sneaks out of camp. He walks 15 miles to see his parents, not knowing if they were dead or alive, knocks on their door. They're, they're fine. They hang out for a little bit. And he walks home. And so the next day, November 1st, the athletes leave for first for Czechoslovakia, and then they head to Melbourne for the Olympics. And this journey takes a long time by boat. It's a few weeks, and they have no access to news or, or anything along their journey. I think we're ever going to leave the dock? I don't know. The engines have been running for like three hours. Three weeks later, they hit the shores of Melbourne, and they haven't really had access to any news. So uh, the only member on the team who speaks English picks up a newspaper and finds out that days after they left, the Soviets have invaded, crushed the revolution, and Hungary's 13 days of freedom have come to an end. 2,000 people are dead, hundreds of thousands of people have fled, and 100,000 revolutionaries are sitting in prisons around the country. Two days later, as the opening ceremonies kick off in Melbourne, Naj is arrested Later, he's tried and hanged as a traitor. Um, And, you know, countries around the world are taking notice. Spain, Switzerland, the Netherlands, 
they all boycotted the Olympics altogether in protest of the Soviet invasion. The players uh, in the Olympic Village actually tear down the Hungarian flag with the communist emblem and replace it with the banner of Free Hungary that has been banned back home. And they even try to defect. They go to the Americans and the Australians who both turn them down. So eight days after they arrive, the tournament begins. The Hungarians, meanwhile, haven't been in a pool in a month. They were on a boat. There was a lot going on. However, they cruise through the first few rounds because they use this new zone marking system, which they do basically because they're out of shape, but it is dominant. And it sets them up to play the Soviets in the semifinals, and they get a shot at extracting a bit of revenge. Charlie, cue that 90s Bulls intro music. (laughs) By the time the semifinal match takes place, this Hungarian and Soviet beef is no small story. It is a capacity crowd for their match. Sold out, standing room only, this is the hottest ticket in town. And it's a heavily Hungarian crowd too. They're shouting, go hungry, go hungry, in Hungarian, which I won't try to uh, do myself, but it's electric. The fans are foaming at the mouth, and the Hungarians' game plan was simple. Don't shake hands, talk trash, rile up the Soviets, and get them to fight. I will smash your face into a car windshield and then take your mother, Dorothy Mantooth, out for a nice seafood dinner and never call her again. The Soviets have forced them to learn Russian in school, so the Hungarians are all able to talk a bunch of junk to them in their own language. Hit me with that Zidor quote. We figured if they were going to get angry, they're going to start to fight. And once they fight, they won't play well. If they don't play well, we will beat them. And if we beat them, we would win the Olympics. It's a very Eastern European give a mouse a cookie type strategy. And less than one minute in, a Soviet player reacts to these insults in Russian, and he gets a penalty. Dorothy Mantooth is a state! You understand me? Dorothy Mantooth is a state! And then another two penalties get taken by the Soviets. But then two from Hungary also, so they're all just kind of going at each other in the pool. Um, But amidst this punching, kicking, splashing, uh, Hungary starts to build up a lead. They score twice on penalties, then they score two more. Zador, he uh, scores two of them. Germati, the captain, ends up scoring one. And entering the last period of the game, Hungary has a stranglehold uh, on the game. Uh, they have a 4-0 lead, but insults are still flying. Uh, and towards the end of the game, Zador was asked to mark the best player on the Soviet Union team. So Zador says, no problem, I can handle him. I tell him he's a loser, and his mother's a loser, and everything else. I'll say the game's over, and you're just a sorry-ass loser, and that's it. They probably shouldn't have taught them uh, how to say loser in Russian in school. Yeah, very. They, their vocabulary stopped in middle school, clearly. Uh, so one minute remaining in the game, uh, the referee blows a whistle, and while Zador kind of looked to the other end of the pool in that direction, the Soviet player he was guarding rises out of the water like some merman and punches him in the face. So down goes Zador. He emerges from the water with blood pouring out of his face. Cameras are flashing. It's a Greg Fokker breaking the bride's nose moment from Meet the Parents. What the hell's the matter with you? It's only a game, Fokker! It's just a game, Fokker! This was more than just a game. Fans rushed the Soviet players, and the refs end up calling the game early. So with a 4-0 lead, the Hungarians end up winning, beating their Soviet oppressors. Zador for his heroics, actually ends up missing the gold medal game as he has eight fresh stitches in his freshly punched face. Hungary beats Yugoslavia in the gold medal game, winning 2-1. to one. 
Um, the Hungarian national anthem is played after the athletes are on the podium, um, and the players are filled with such pride having represented their you know uh, hurt country. Uh, but there is just so much unknown uh, after this Olympics ends. Pictures of Zador's bloodied face are published all over the world, and headlines um, on top of that were where the actual name Blood in the Water match comes from. Um, and the image is everywhere. Half the team refuses to turn to Hungary and eventually is able to defect. Zador actually goes to San Francisco, very quickly realizes that American water polo is absolute trash. So he ends up coaching swimming, where he encounters a young fellow by the name of Mark Spitz, who later became another Soviet Olympic nemesis. And this sort of east-west conflict and dynamic would come to not only dominate geopolitics, but also the Olympics for decades. This whole story is that of a bittersweet revolution. It's bitter in that the pain, death, and destruction that the people of Hungary endured in fighting the Soviets just for their basic human and democratic rights were crushed. Uh, But in the end, it was sweet in the sense that history remembered the revolutionaries for their role in planting the seeds of freedom for Hungary. It was also pretty sweet that amidst all this pain, the pride of Hungary, their water polo team, got the chance to dominate and embarrass their Soviet oppressors on the global stage. Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Jesse Rose for his design talents, and to Irvin Zador for knowing how to take a punch. Follow us on all things social at legendarybytes underscore. That's at legendarybytes in the underscore symbol for more interesting nuggets from each story. Do you have a great story idea? If so, shoot us an email at legendarybytes at gmail.com. We'd really genuinely love to hear from you. Finally, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it right now to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.